The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today on Crawl Call, we all like to think of the happy times of marriage, but what happens after the love is gone? Because unfortunately, many marriages end in the D word. Actress turned divorce coach Laura Bonarigo is here with advice of what you can do to cope with divorce. Then, this Goonie is definitely good enough. Jeff B. Cohen may have started off in front of the camera, but he is now a prominent attorney with a must-read book for anyone in the business world. That's what's coming up today on Crawl Call. Everybody, welcome to this week's edition of Crawl Call. It was a little snippet of our new reworked theme song. We'll be talking more about that in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, Dan Kroll. I'm not new. I've been here for almost 300 episodes now. That's kind of exciting. We'll talk more about that later in the show as well. For those of you who have been following me on the Twitter machine and Facebook and anywhere else that I do my social media, Instagram and Periscope, you will know that there's also something else new. There's a new addition over here at Kroll Manor, a little fuzzy white rabbit that somehow, it's, it's a long story that you know probably is good for another time, maybe even another uh, guest that can help me figure it out. But after having had a rabbit for 14 years, and unfortunately the rabbit passed away, uh, wanted to get another rabbit, wasn't sure, wasn't right. And then this rabbit at the middle of nowhere in here in the middle of, Center City, Philadelphia, showed up at my garage, just sort of hopping around. You can make of that what you will. We'll talk more about the rabbit coming up. We've got a lot of things to talk about on the show today. In addition to talking about rabbits, which I'm not entirely sure we've talked about on the show, and new theme songs, which I don't think we've talked about either. There are two other topics today that we're going to be talking about that I don't think have ever come up on Crawl Call. Coming up in just a few moments, we're going to be talking about what many see as the dreaded D word, divorce. Is it as scary as it sounds? Well, we'll get more information about that because, you know, uh, it's something that unfortunately a lot of people deal with and a lot of people are having some difficulties trying to wrap their head around the process of divorce. So we'll be talking about that in just a little bit. And then in the second half of the show, you may remember him as Chunk from the Goonies, but Jeff B. Cohen is now a high-profile attorney. He's also an expert in business. He has written a new book called The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments. He's going to explain what those commandments are and why they're so important. It's for anyone who owns a business or works in the world of business. So that's coming up a little bit later. But as I said, my first guest, well, she's known for playing a one life to live character who has cheated death, possibly on more than one occasion. But what good soap character hasn't? And what good soap character hasn't had at least a couple of soapy marriages along the way? But in real life, Laura Bonarigo has parlayed her experiences on screen into helping others First as a mom who was helping other moms feed their children right, and now as a divorce coach. Well, what exactly is a divorce coach? Well, what do you say we find out and welcome her to the show? Laura, welcome to Curl Call. Thank you so much. It's so great to be on the show with you. Well, first, let's go back to the other. Let me see if I've got this right here, and you'll know better than I am. On One Life to Live, your character's name, let me take a deep breath here, I need some oxygen, was Cassie Kramer Reynolds, Carison Colonel Buchanan, Carpenter Buchanan. That's an awful lot. It sounds like an awful lot of weddings, too. It was, yeah. I mean, I wore four wedding dresses on the show, (laughs) and all the other actresses who played Cassie wore equally as many, so... (laughs) Yeah, that was a lot of weddings. It is kind of a lot of weddings. And, and as we sort of segue into the rest of the, scu- the discussion, which we'll get to uh, in more detail a little bit later, were there a lot of soapy divorces as well? I think I went through two, and then I think Kathy was just sort of put away. I don't think she ever, we ever saw her dealing with 
Kevin. And, and of course, on a soap opera, you don't really watch the divorce. Maybe you do if there's a court case, but I don't, you know, it's just the emotional fallout. That's actually a really good point now that I think about it. It's all about the, the big weddings. Everyone remembers Luke and Laura's wedding, but no one could really remember when Luke and Laura got divorced. Good point. So <laughs> with that, uh, to get background uh, from you for the people who are listening, did you have any alternate career choices? Was being an actress always something that was sort of foremost in your mind? Yes. I always wanted to be an actress. And, and in fact, and I still act today. Um, I... I just don't have a television series right now. I mostly do commercial work, and those are primarily running abroad. So um, I haven't given up my love of acting. And I have learned from some folks that uh, you need to really pay attention to the commercials because commercials are, um, even voiceovers and commercial appearances are quite a way to make a living. Yeah, they're lovely ways to make a living. They really are. So we have to sort of go from acting to finding out your path along the way to going to life coach and now divorce coach. What was the process for you? How did you make that transition? You know, I think I've been coaching people for years, probably my entire life. So becoming certified was sort of the next right step. I, um, I was coaching moms on how to feed well, and that was feed their kids well, that was just sort of word of mouth. And I used to say, look, I'm a mom with a passion. You may remember I grew up on a farm, so I started, you know, learning about food and nutrition when I was very, very young. And then because I have Italian hips, I always had to watch what I was eating on daytime. (laughs) So I read everything. I went to nutritionists. I really learned a lot about food and nutrition. And so I was coaching moms their help. I live in New York City, so I was working here. And then um, I started to look into getting a nutrition, um, I can't speak, sorry, a nutrition certification with Columbia University. And, you know, it was a ridiculous amount of money and a ridiculous amount of time because as an actress, I had no science background. Mm. And I work with a network marketing company that has a health and nutrition component. And I started coaching families through them on the nutrition, and I started coaching teams on how to work part-time earning substantial income. Hmm. So that drove me into getting certified as a life coach because that's all about not only empathy for the person I'm talking with, and that's all my acting training, but then it's really how do you get a mindset to earn a lot of money if they've never done it? And that's where the life coaching came in, and because of my own personal experience with divorce, I really, really wanted to help people going through divorce. And through the life coaching, I was directed to the only certifying program for certified divorce coaches here available. And um, I'm just wrapping that up right now. An interesting question that I sort of came up while I was preparing for the show, and I'm not really sure how to point this out and, and say this other than to ask do you have to have had a divorce to understand divorce? To, not to know what it is, but to truly understand all of the nuances that, that go on in a divorce? You know, I'm not sure that one would have to. You might have been a child of divorce, but it certainly helps to unfortunately have had that uh, firsthand experience because there's a great deal more empathy one knows what's going on in the, in the person you're working with. When I was in school, we'll just say it was a while ago, in <laughs> maybe you know, a couple, couple of years, uh, even probably I would say all the way through to when I was in high school, I was one of the few kids whose parents were divorced, which mm. now probably sounds like crazy talk. It's probably flipped the other way. Um, you know, more children, unfortunately, are, are have parents who are divorced. Why do you think that that's changed? It seems as though, you know, when, when people are talking about getting married now, there's always someone standing by wagging their finger of saying, you know, oh, I give it five years. Why does it seem like there's mm-hmm. so many divorces? I think that we, as a culture, don't really sit down with people who are getting married and really talk to them 
um, I know that there are certain um, strict or orthodox or conservative religious practices that do um, sort of premarital premarital uh, counseling for newlywed for um, engaged couples, but if one isn't involved with that um, circle of people, we don't really teach people what it means to be married. Hmm. No, that's it's interesting. It gets me thinking now that it is legal for same-sex couples to get married. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm wondering if that's something as well. If you know, now that there's the idea of we can get married, is there the thought process to do all of the things that are needed? to make sure that it is a happy and healthy union. Um, you know, just something to, not to rain on anyone's parade. Sorry, guys and girls. Well, no, I think it's what I, what I really, I don't want to rain on anyone's parade. Let me talk about what I really would love to do. Sure. So a couple gets engaged or a, a couple, want, um, people are dating. But what isn't discussed is where do you want your marriage to be in five years? This is some of the exciting work I really want to do. And strangely, as a life coach or as a divorce coach, I can do this. I can say, and I have processes. So this is something I'm actually going to do with um, some, some guys I know, single men, who are interested in having a relationship or interested in getting married. And you sit down and you do a process with them. Where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you see yourself in eight years? What do you want your life to look like? What do you want your partnership to look like? How about the vacations? How about the money? How about your sex life? How do you want your marriage, which is hopefully the most intimate relationship you have with another person, um, going to, how are you going to fuel it? How are you going to grow it? So for me, that's all positive. And then as a life coach, let's break it down and make it happen. And really help somebody carve out what they want as opposed to an idea that, okay, now we're married, we're happily ever after. Uh, that's where we're, we don't have a good understanding. So, I mean, we always hear about, certainly once people are in a union, that communication is important. And for this, I mean, even before, even before there's a legal union, the communication is important as well to make sure that, yeah. you know, I mean, whether maybe someone wants kids and someone doesn't. I mean, these are, when you're talking about five years and eight years, these are sort of the things that need to come up, I'm guessing. Well, let me, let me give um, uh, an analogy for sure. you. In business, would you ever go work with somebody without a contract, a severance <laughs> package, an exit strategy, a bonus plan? Mm. In business, don't you sit down with your colleagues and discuss what's going on, if not monthly at, or weekly, at least maybe annually? Don't you have objectives about where you want to go as a team? So those are tools that a marriage needs because even though we might think that marriage is built on love, the institution is still built on an economic arrangement. And divorce is certainly about the emotional fallout, but it's also very, very much an untangling of a business deal. That's the business of divorce. And that's what's missing. That's part of the conversation I really want to start back out in the world. It's like, come on, this doesn't have to end horribly. You have a choice in the matter. And also, if you know who you're looking for, like who you want, what you want when you're dating, then you have a screening process. Oh, wow. I really want someone who's going to be super passionate the rest of my life. Where is their fire now? Are they passionate now? What are they excited about? Are they going to grow with me? You know, and start painting the picture that you want so that when you're interviewing on a date, you can decide, you know what, this, might, this person might be able to do it with me and then do another date like that. What happens? I mean, even the, the best laid plans, sometimes things do go wrong and say that, you know, a couple is headed for divorce, what, mm-hmm. would be, what would be your advice in handling? Because clearly that is dealing with the loss of a relationship is extremely stressful. It's extremely sad. Um, you know, maybe having to do the division of assets or if there are children involved, there, there are a lot of variables that can make this 
very unpleasant, um, you know, yeah. and, and certainly very sad. What does someone do when they're in that situation where they realize that this union has come to its end? Mm-hmm. Um, my clients and I work with um, the concept of being their best self. And as they're untangling their relationship, that transition needs to be, uh, that process needs to be really respected. And I have a great deal of respect for this time in somebody's life. And it's a really great opportunity for growth. And we take a stand on who they want to be. And it's a dual-fold experience. We take a stand on who they're going to be in the moment, Mm. who their best self is, because especially if there are children involved. Because at the end of the day, after lawyers and accountants and judges go home, the person who will be at the birthday parties and at the weddings is going to be the ex-spouse, the father or mother of your children. Mm. So we really ground in a very safe place how they're going to be their best. And we always bring them back to that. And they think about who they want to be in their future. Again, that sort of five-year, eight-year plan. What are their values now that they see that this is all coming apart? And then we sort of project them into the future. And we ask them, I ask them, I'm using we, but Mm -hmm. um, because it's two of us working on this, I ask them to think about, you're standing in your future and I want you to look back to this time period. How do you want to see yourself? Wow. It's very powerful, and it's very, um, I want to say it's almost spiritual. It's so opposite of what most divorces are. And I've had really great um, good fortune with my clients. They, they're making big progress. They're making sane decisions. I'm, when I work with them, it's a safe to just calm down and get real about who they want to be for themselves, for their children, and how do we, you know, mourn the passing of this and create a future at the same time? You know, thinking with that, there are a lot of people taking divorce out of the equation, just making it to, I guess, sort of Mm -hmm. get something that someone may understand. There are people who have been in situations where, you know, maybe they've had poor service at a, at a restaurant or a store and they go up and they, you know, they yell and they're nasty. And then afterwards they realize, ooh, you know, I, I wasn't at my best there. I could have handled it differently. And listening to you with that, uh, you know, understanding where do you, when you look back at the situation, where do you, what do you want to have thought of yourself in that situation? Or where did you want to have been? That's, that's kind of powerful because, I mean, a lot of people think that, divorce by its nature has to be extremely bitter and extremely nasty. And that's probably maybe part of the problem. Well, certainly the, the, the court system, the judicial system isn't designed to take care of people emotionally. And there's a lot of misunderstanding about what divorce is legally and what the courts can really grant, you know, um, My girlfriend used to say to me, um, and I think she learned it from her coach, if you want fairness, go to a carnival, but don't go to the courts. (laughs) So that's one thing. And then attorneys also are um, antagonistic by nature, and then they can rile up uh, a client, and the client can misunderstand. And, you know, it's a very, um, it's a a, um, high, high, volatile moment. So there's a lot of volatility. And um, it's what, what I do with my clients is I give them a space where they can calm down. When we're really hooked in and we're in fear or uh, the whole flight or fright, the reptilian brain takes over and our ability to think well drops literally 10 to 15%, we're in a survival mode or we're in a fighting mode. That doesn't allow for um, the cerebral cortex to take over and for us to think. So I have to, I bring my clients down to where they can think clearly and we talk about what do they really want. 
Hmm. And I'm, I'm looking at, and unfortunately, you know, this is such a great discussion, and I see that we're running out of time for this segment. So what I'm thinking mm-hmm. is that maybe we can arrange for, in the future, for you to come back, and if maybe people have some specific questions, maybe we can entertain that idea. But there are a couple of other quick questions before we get into our speed round uh, that I wanted to make sure that we get. One that was actually submitted from a couple of people online as well is, what do you do when friends divorce? When mm. both of them are your friends, do you know? Do you have to pick and choose? Do you pick who you've known the longest? Do you, you know, draw straws? What do you do in that situation? It seems like it could be difficult. I just want to tell. I want to. The advice I give is love them up. They're in a lot of pain, mm. and listen to them, because you know you might put a timer on and say, "Let's." I'll let you download for five minutes, or I'll let you download for ten minutes, and then let's go. Let's go take a walk on the beach. Let's go get an ice cream. Let's go hug it out. Let's go watch comedy. You know, protect yourself because you don't need all of that antagonism thrown your way. It's a lot of intense energy. But your friends are hurting. Mm. That anger is simply covering up the hurt, the frustration, the fear. So love them up. Protect yourself. Timer is a really great thing. And you can say to your friends, I love you so much. Five minutes. And it's also something that um, divorce is not contagious. And I often think people are afraid to be around people that are going through divorce because they think it's going to rub off and their marriage is going to fall apart. And it's not necessarily true. It's a great opportunity for you and your spouse to get together and say, hey, where are we? Should we take a weekend away? <laughs> Things like that. No, that's... that's- Excellent advice. I mean, I, I'm listening to this too. I'm making, you know, personal notes for myself to, you know, after the show is over at seven o'clock, I'm going to, you know, do some of these things that you've been suggesting. But we're almost out of time, so we have a speed round for you. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. The snack food that you could not live without? Um, dark chocolate with ginger. Mmm, that sounds tasty. Your least favorite household chore? Oh. Um, cleaning, you know, <laughs> vacuuming and dusting. All of them is acceptable. I'll accept that as your answer. Is there a <laughs> talent or skill that you've always wished you had? Oh, I wish I could be a ballroom dancer. Oh, but there's still time. We'll work on that. We'll talk after the show. And <clears throat> is there one helpful piece of advice that you would want to share with the folks who are listening now for the relationships that they're in right now? Oh, I would say date your lover. Really spend time with them and find the energy and the love and really treasure that and, and really work on it. Like, bring if you're missing it, bring it back. Date your spouse. Date your lover. Um, and that will help I mean, that's our most intimate relationship. And everything from there is like concentric circles. For the folks out there who are listening, who are loving this great advice that they're hearing right now, these wonderful words, Laura, where can folks go to find you or to learn more information about you? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Right now, I do not have a divorce coaching website. If someone's Googling me, they're looking, they're going to see my acting. I'm working on that. So Facebook, Laura Bonarigo on Facebook, private message me. I'm happy to do a free consultation for life coaching or just divorce coaching or whatever somebody needs, and they can reach me there. That sounds easy enough. And if you guys don't have that, we will have all of the information on our website at CrollCall.com or follow us on the Twitter machine at CrollCallShow. Remember, it's CrollCallShow. Laura, I want to thank you so much for the time that you spent here and for, I mean, really, I have a lot of notes here, a lot of really, really great takeaways. Oh, you're so kind. Thank you for having me on the show. This was so much fun. Well, I'm going to extend it again anytime you'd like to come back and, you know, perhaps we can do some on-air things or we can talk more because there's a lot more topics. I would love to have you back. Super. Thank you so much. Everybody, we have to take a quick break, but we've got Jeff B. Cohen on the other side of this commercial to talk about business. Again, also something that everybody needs to know. Stay tuned because Kroll Call will be right back. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Hey, Soap fans, are you looking for the inside scoop on your favorite daytime drama series? Well, for 20 years now, Soap fans have looked no further than SoapCentral.com. EverydaySoapCentral.com has comprehensive daily recaps of all the happenings on your favorite soap operas. You can take a peek ahead with the scoop for spoilers and previews or share your thoughts with other soap fans from around the world on our bustling message boards. If you're looking for a little history or just looking to settle a bet with a friend, check out hundreds of character profiles and actor biographies. Now you'll know who slept with who, who's related to who, and of course, who's come back from the dead the most times. Plus, there are exclusive interviews, red carpet coverage of the daytime Emmys, and much, much more. So whether you're watching The Young and the Restless, Days of Our Lives, General Hospital, or The Bold and the Beautiful, or if you're reflecting on some of the soaps that are no longer with us, SoapCentral.com will keep you tuning in tomorrow. Now, let's get back to more of this week's Kroll Call. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to this week's edition of Kroll Call. I'm your host, Dan Kroll. Joining me now is the author of the book, The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments, actor turned lawyer turned author, Jeff B. Cohen. He's here today to talk about 10 essential tools for business that he's learned in the trenches of Hollywood. And if you follow them, you may just be a chip or perhaps a chunk off the old block. Jeff, yeah. welcome to the show. Chunk off the old block, baby. It, it is so nice to meet you, man. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Thank you for uh, being here. You know, it's funny. Uh, time seems to go by so quickly. 2015 is the 30th anniversary of the Goonies. Does yep. that seem possible? It's crazy, man. Back when the world was young, I uh, you know had a great head of hair. Uh, <laughs> Reagan was beginning his second term. It was uh, a long time ago. So do you think the movie has held up all these years? It's a totally, I mean, it's probably, I guess you could argue, two generations later, but I think the, I, I still enjoy it, but of course I enjoyed it the first time out. I think, uh, you know, if you look at kind of the big three of American, uh, you know, cinema, it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, Casablanca, it's <laughs> Citizen Kane, and then Goonies, you know what I mean? So it's, yeah, it's just one of those weird classics that, uh, you know, kind of a perfect film. No yeah, the, flaws. <laughs> the Goonies knocks what things like Gone with the Wind down a couple of pegs. Yeah. Wizard of Oz. I agree. Lawrence of Arabia. What? <laughs> ben Hur. Who? <laughs> Godfather Two. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So in all seriousness, though, looking back, what was your experience like being in the Goonies? What was it being firsthand involved in this film? Uh, I mean, it was great. You know, it was great. Yeah, uh, you know, I always wanted to be as a kid growing up. It was my dream to be Spanky from the Little Rascals. You know, which, uh, you know, the, the Little Rascals was this you know great uh, black and white uh, series of shorts uh, in the '30s. You know, starring these these great kid actors, and Spanky was like the cool little uh, you know fat kid. And I was like, oh man, I want to be Spanky. Like that's the best job ever. Uh, and uh, and then I got to be Spanky for a little bit. So that was kind of fun. You know. Some actors tend to bristle at the idea of being known for one role. I've talked to people on the other side, you know, someone like uh, Susan Lucci, who's known as Erica Kane, all of my children for 40 years. There are others who, you know, are known for one role that maybe isn't so uh, ongoing. Some people have a problem with that. What is, is your thought if people say, hey, you were chunk? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, I mean, there's something to that. The weight of being a cultural icon is heavy. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, just like, uh, 
you know, Michael Keaton had, you know, Birdman following him around in his movie. There's like a 10-year-old me doing the truffle shuffle always somewhere, uh, you know, popping out to say hello to me. Uh, I mean, look, you know, uh, if we're going to do one movie, it's a pretty good one, you know. <laughs> I'm an entertainment lawyer now, so I can kind of laugh at it, but uh, I don't know. I think it's cool. Well, that was actually where I was going next, the fact of going from acting to law, for entertainment law. Where, I mean, obviously some folks decide to stray away from acting. How did you go from being in acting to being in entertainment law? Lack of any other viable alternative. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you something. If you get one thing from this interview, uh, in addition to, of course, buying my book, The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments, at Amazon.com. One thing, uh, no one intentionally gives up acting, okay? Nobody, no matter what they say, no one gives up acting intentionally. It is the best job ever. Everyone is nice to you. They feed you. There's food all over the place. Uh, so as a fat kid, this was amazing. That they have, it's called craft service. So there's just like candy and stuff hanging around. They have a food truck. Uh, if you want to make something, uh, you get to play make-believe. You get to travel. Uh, best job ever. Uh, so for me, uh, you know, as, as with me, you know, former kid actors, uh, puberty was kind of the brick wall that uh, was my uh, kind of forced career ender. Uh, but, you know, because you know, I was a little chunky kid, and then you hit puberty, and you start to thin out a little bit. Your voice changes, uh, and I couldn't you know, work anymore. So uh, I was really upsetting, but I didn't know at the time that I was making the long, you know, transition from chunk to hunk. Uh, you know, so ultimately it all turned out great. But uh, it was puberty, man, career ender. It's, you know, it's a career ender for a lot of people in other ways, too. You start thinking sure. with other things and uh, you lead yourself in the wrong direction. But <laughs> That's above my pay grade, man. I don't, I don't, I don't care. Just a humble lawyer, man. I don't know about that stuff. It's, uh, it's for somebody else. It's for a different guest. <laughs> Not just a humble lawyer, but also a humble author. All yes. of your experiences going from that, what prompted you to write a book, which I have to say I'm enjoying, and we'll have some uh, rather interesting questions after we get to what led you to write the book. Oh, thank you. Well, first of all, thank you so much. Yeah, I, um, it was really exciting. Uh, basically, the book is called The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments, uh, and the big idea is that success is life on your own terms. And throughout the book, I, I have exercises, ideas to help the reader discover what those terms are, and then I give the reader the tools on how to get you know, get those terms. So it's how to negotiate a great deal, how to manage your time, how to deal with crisis uh, at the highest level without losing your soul. For me, um, kind of, you know, failing as an actor or not being able to get work as an actor and kind of being in that despair and then trying to find a new mechanism to create a new methodology to kind of just say, look, man, things are not working out. Um, I can't be a has-been, uh, you know, at age 14. Like, I have to figure, I, there has to be something else I'm good at. So I, I basically created this series of rules and, uh, you know, ideas that helped me kind of, you know, uh, create, you know, my little, uh, you know, entertainment uh, empire and, and um, you know, as an entertainment lawyer and, and kind of as an entrepreneur. So, you know, it's that methodology that I wanted to impart to the reader. There are interesting are there are ten commandments in your book. The number ten seems to have worked out well for you know for something else. Uh, yeah. was, I'm assuming the ten would then was intentional. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's uh, you know it's every Jewish mother's dream <laughs> that her son brings the ten commandments uh, to to the people. So uh, you know, I'm glad to make mom happy. <laughs> So, well, we'll get <laughs> to ten seem like a round number. So, like, eh, it's fine. We'll get to some of the, the the Catholic part of me who has some questions towards the end. But first one, first sure. commandment: sure. it is better to be feared than loved. This is the first. I mean, getting right into the book, I'm thinking, okay, you know, what is Jeff B. Cohen saying here? Because, you know, there's this impression that. You want to be liked. You want to, you know, nobody wants to work for a jerk. So you want to be the one that they like and love. So, and your response to that would be? Yeah, no, uh, basically, it's, I, I begin the book uh, with a warning. Um, and the warning, I start that warning with a quote, which is, good and great are seldom the same man. Hmm. And the, this is a book about being great. It's not a book about being good. There are other books about, you know, being good. Uh, and, I, and I also want to say that kind of the, you know, the Ten Commandments are for business. Do not use them. It's hardcore stuff. Do not use it in your personal life. <laughs> it is not for lovers and friends and family and puppies. Not for them. For business. 
Um, in my experience, you know, negotiating deals and kind of helping structure businesses over the past, you know, you know, 15, 15 years, in addition to my experience as a kid, um, basically, uh, we are taught to be loved. Mm-hmm. We are taught by our institutions, you know, you know, uh, you know, you know, be teacher's pet and get good grades, you know, be good to the boss and, and you'll get a promotion, uh, you know, be good to the institution and the institution will be good to you. And that's what we're taught. Um, and that can work out. Um, but to be really powerful, uh, you have to be able to be in control. And a mechanism that brings you control is fear. Because people are afraid of you at your control. You make them afraid of you. They love you at their control because they want to. So have a person who you know has been working at a company for 20 years, uh, doing a great job, doing everything in the best interest of the institution, but the problem is the institution also does what's in the best interest of the institution. Hmm. So when they go, hey, we can fire this person and hire someone who's 20 years younger and pay them half the salary, they'll do it. And then you're left in the cold and you're like, wait a minute, I wanted this institution to be my pal. Uh, you know, where, where's the reciprocation? So kind of what I have seen in, in my, you know, kind of experience of business was, you know, if you really want to be able to build something, you need control, and fear is the mechanism to, to get that control. You'd mentioned power. Commandment two is power leads, reason follows. Uh, again, for folks who are maybe thinking about it in a non-business sense, that also may be something that seems like a contradiction. Yeah, in every negotiation, and every deal, and every business, you know, you know, transaction. Um, what what basically is happening is most powerful side gets what they want. So power leads. Uh, and in the book, I, I, I kind of describe various tactics to kind of you know gain for your side to gain more power, and then how to use it. But basically, what occurs is power leads. The powerful side gets what they want, and then reason what makes sense is a little caboose that follows behind. The powerful side gets what they want and then constructs a what I call a narrative of power uh, to justify why the more powerful party got you know, what they wanted to get and why that's really good for everybody. But the truth of it is that for lead and then reason uh, you know, is kind of the little caboose that is following along uh, that, that you know, freight train as it steams down the track. As we are talking about the Dealmaker's Ten Commandments, for folks who are listening, I want to let them know that this is really, I believe, more of, I want to say, of a pep talk. I feel like this is someone, you read the book and it's like someone giving you one-on-one advice. It isn't commandments in the, the terms of, thou shalt, sorry to the other commandments. Sure. Um, sure. Sure. You know, that, that's what I got out of it. I feel that it's, it's conversational to the point that you can have a conversation with a book. Well, you know what, Dan, I really appreciate that because what I was really striving for in the book was that conversational tone. Um, you know, I'm an advocate, you know, I'm, I'm an attorney, I represent clients, so kind of that relationship of like, hey, this is what's going on, you know, this is my take, how do you want to move on this issue, uh, is kind of what I'm used to doing, and I, and, I, and I very much with the book wanted it to be honest. It's not a BS book about, hey, let's all feel good, everybody can win, Isn't, aren't I clever? Like, I didn't want that, you know? I didn't want to waste the reader's time. So what I really was aiming for was kind of an honest conversation about, hey, this is my experience, this is what I've seen, here's how you can learn from it. So I, 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 very, I, I really appreciate and, and I'm pleased that the conversational tone of it came through. That's great. Skipping forward, we have three, everyone is on the same side, their own. Yes. Four was one. Uh, that I, I found interesting. Things are precisely as they seem. I think, uh, again, for people who may be lost between business and non-business matters, you often hear things are seldom what they seem. But there was one thing in there that I wanted to get your, your more sure. of a clarity on, Jeff. Eliminate morality. Rise above yeah. your principles. That, for me, I will, as a business owner, for me, that one reading that feels the most challenging. Um, I feel like doing something, the morality aspect, I feel that I should be driven by that. That could be my Catholic guilt, though. No, no, no. well, you know, I appreciate that. And here's my feeling on it. Um, every person needs to do what, what's right for them, you know, what feels appropriate to them. And I, I totally make sense. It totally makes sense to me, and I totally respect the fact that I may advocate tactics that the reader is uncomfortable with, and I think it's important for the reader to know them merely from a, I mean, if, if they're not comfortable using the tactics, then merely from a, a position of self-defense. 
<laughs> no, it's right. Even, because even if you're not comfortable using the tactics, that's comfortable, and that's a very personal decision, and I respect it, but know that the other guy may, may be completely comfortable using it. You know what I mean? So, so just at least from a position of self-defense, know that that, that exists. The, the big idea with, with uh, Commandment 4, things are precisely as they seem, which seems beyond obvious is that in any kind of business relationship, we're always hyper-concerned that the other side is trying to trick us, that, they're trying, that we're trying to be deceived, when in fact, the, the, the greater danger is uh, you deceiving yourself. Um, hmm. And there's a very human, you know, uh, optimistic, uh, you know, idea to kind of take a situation that makes us uncomfortable and rationalize it into a into a positive. Rationalize it. Oh, everything's going to be fine. But if it's not, you have to look at it absolutely, you know, w- you know, with stone stone cold sober, you know. And that's why in that chapter I talk about all the things to eliminate so you can have a completely objective view about the facts in front of you. The commandment five, no pig wrestling, I think speaks for itself. Number six is the commandment for me as I was reading it, laughing, thinking this must be the the commandment for telemarketers because take yes for yes, maybe for yes, and no for maybe. Um, (laughs) It's sort of, I mean, maybe it's not necessarily where you were going with it, but for me that's that's sort of, uh, it's going after the person who maybe can't make that firm no and convincing them to give you a yes somewhere along the line. Yeah, that's right. It's um, and again, I, I tried to write the book generally enough. So if you're a salesperson, hopefully there's elements that can help you. If you're uh, you know a negotiator, it'll help you know, or or, or a business manager, there are elements that can help you. Um, because I you know making deals, managing your time, and dealing with crisis is something as business people we all have to to deal with. The idea about about that commandment take yes for yes, maybe for yes, and no for maybe is basically the idea that each deal. Each business relationship has a rhythm. Boom, boom, boom. Offer, counter, close. Offer, counter, close. That's always the rhythm of a deal. And you have to uh, create uh, you know, a rhythm that gives you increasingly favorable outcomes. So whatever the facts are, whatever kind of the way you know, the, the deal is trending, it's how can I take this and flip it so more and more the outcome will be in my favor. So that's kind of the big idea about, about that chapter. The seventh commandment, for those of you who are reading the book, not following something else, is do it, delete it, delegate it. But it is the eighth commandment, Jeff, that is, uh, I really think is the one that people can relate to, even if they're not business owners in this situation. It's don't panic, stop the bleeding, don't compound the error. For me, I'm thinking of an uh, an era of social media, probably a Freudian slip there. There you go. um, Where... People are tweeting things out on social media and they end up being PR nightmares or even someone like a Donald Trump who is a businessman who is going into something like politics. And we're not talking politics in this situation, but in the sense of someone saying something and then how do you respond to it from a business perspective? Uh, I kind of want to talk a little bit about number eight in more detail. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Basically, the idea is you know, don't panic, stop the bleeding, don't compound the error. If you're doing anything challenging, you're going to make mistakes. You know, you never mess up if you're doing something that's easy. So if you're going to challenge yourself, if you're going to take risks, things will go wrong. The question is, what do you do when they go wrong? Um, And I start that chapter off with a quote uh, from the Navy SEALs, Mm -hmm. which is, the more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in combat. The idea being that when you're thrown in this high-stress situation where everything's going to hell, uh, you're either going to revert to your instincts, which will probably get you killed, or probably just make you bolt off into the distance and somebody will, will, will peg you, or your training. So don't panic, stop the bleeding, don't compound the error is basically creating a methodology uh, you know, for the reader that, okay, when everything goes wrong, step one, don't panic. Step two, stop the bleeding. Whatever is, you know, you know, whatever damage is being caused, can we stop it? And then don't compound the error, meaning whatever your initial reaction, you have to take a moment. You have to take a beat. 
because oftentimes if you try to impulsively fix the situation, you might just make it worse. So the big idea, and I go through it in the chapter in more detail, is create a methodology to, you know, to deal with uh, crisis, because while you're doing something challenging, crisis will Number nine, be a deal maker, not a deal breaker. Um, something in there that took me back to film. Yeah. What a deal maker is, is not being bloodthirsty. In uh, the movie that I'm thinking about is Pretty Woman, Richard Gere's character, after you know, ripping apart companies and rebuilding them, at the end, spoiler alert, he meets with an older gentleman and they decide to work together rather than working against each other. Um, does that really work in the real world or is that just the thing of, of fantasy film? Sure. So that commandment, be, be a deal maker, not a deal breaker, the big idea is, you know, what is a deal maker? And as simple as it sounds, you make deals. So, uh, you know, the, uh, there's a quote that I use from Margaret Thatcher, which is, being powerful is like being a lady. If you have to tell people you are, then you're not. <laughs> uh, and the big idea is that the point of being a deal, uh, deal maker and being a great deal maker, a successful deal maker, is not showing everybody how smart you are. It's not showing everybody how loud you can, you can yell and how awesome your Ferrari, uh, how fast your Ferrari can go. The point is analyzing the situation and making a deal. And at the end of the day, if you can't make deals, you're not going to get paid, and your clients are not going to get paid, and your collaborators and co-owners are not going to get paid. So combat is there, and you're going to fight, and there's going to be some dark stuff that goes down. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you have to make a deal. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're not going to get paid. Uh, also, for folks who read the book, something that uh, I thought was important as well, pros play hurt. You can sort of figure that out on your own. If you don't know what it means, what better way to understand it than to pick up a copy of The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments as we yeah. go to the Tenth Commandment, which sure. is, heed Nietzsche's warning. The warning is, it's in the book. I'm finding it here. Uh, it says, whoever fights monsters should be aware that he himself does not become a monster. It's kind of deep. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, the, the big idea with, with Commandment 10, again, heed Nietzsche's warning, beware when you fight monsters, you don't become a monster. Uh, you really need to, you know, to maintain your soul throughout this process. At the end of the day, you have to have sanctuary. At the end of the day, you have to kind of, you know, learn about the idea of forbearance. Uh, and, you know, understand that, look, just because I'm going in the arena and I'm going to have to do a lot of dirty stuff and it's, you know, it's going to be pretty brutal and the guy I'm looking at or gal I'm looking at wants to rip my, you know, throat out, uh, you know, in, in the course of this, you know, transaction or, you know, business uh, endeavor, um, you have to be able to put that aside and, and go back and kind of go back to your sanctuary, whatever that may be. So there are tips in that, uh, you know, uh, chapter about kind of dealing with those issues. Do you think there's a second book in your future? You know, uh, well, first of all, thank you for asking. Um, yeah, people have been asking me that. You know, it's funny. I'm, <laughs> I'm exhausted. You know, I, 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 uh, I, I got a law firm to run and, and businesses and stuff. And, and, and I actually, I, I feel, and I kind of feel good about this, I feel like I left it all on the field. Hmm. You know, I, you know, not to say there, there wouldn't be a second, you know, book potentially, but I really did my best to really try to bring my A game and really not, not waste the reader's time. I want, I want this information to be valuable and to really help the reader, uh, just like, you know, different books help me, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, it's, it's possible. I wouldn't rule it out. But for now, I'm exhausted and I left it on the field. Well, I do know what's in your future. It's a speed round. If you're ready, six questions from random that we want to get your opinions on. Let's do it. Okay. In honor of Chunk, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Going mint chip. Of course. Other than The Goonies, favorite Steven Spielberg film? Oh, man. Uh, out of deference to Kiwi Kwan, my pal, I'm going to say uh, Template. I would, that's a good choice. Very good choice. What is one commandment, not necessarily the Ten Commandments or uh, commandments from the book, but what do you think is one commandment that people should live their life by? Well, I would say uh, their business life, I would say commandment one. It's better to be feared than loved. Okay. What's your favorite 1980s song? Oh, man. So many good ones. Uh, my favorite band of all time, the greatest band of all time, is Steely Dan. And uh, they released Gaucho, I believe, in 80. So I'm going to go with Hey 19. I, I like Steely Dan, too. I mean, going all the way back. But 
we had to pick an 80s. We're fine with that. Least favorite household chore. Ooh, man. You know what? I really like household chores. <laughs> it's just, it's something really therapeutic about, like, I like cleaning up. I like doing really? dishes. I like kind of doing stuff. Uh, I would say, uh, man, I don't know. Vacuuming? That kind of sucks. The most common answer so far has been unloading the dishwasher. Mm, I kind of like it. <laughs> I, I'm a big, I'm a big mug collector. I love my mugs, and I'm like, oh, where am I gonna put my Harry Potter mug? I'll put it over there. Where am I gonna put my, uh, my Depeche Mode mug? I think I'll go over over there. I, I like it. I like cleaning the dishes. I like putting them away. Kind of like it. All right, and the last one. What is the one piece of technology that you cannot live without? Uh, the Donkey Kong machine I have in my office. Do God, I really? love it. It's old school, but man, Donkey Kong. It's always there when I need it. And it's on, like yeah. Donkey oh, Kong. Yeah. Looking right at it. It's my best friend. It's, it's, it's my best friend in show business. I love it. And the final, final question is for folks who are listening now to this interview, how can they find you and where can they go for more information? Oh, thank you. Well, I would go to Amazon.com. And uh, it's the Dealmakers Ten Commandments by Jeff B. Cohen. Uh, we have, you know, hard copies. Uh, we have uh, Kindle and also uh, on audio. If you want to hear this voice, read the book to you. I will actually read the book to you. So I would go to Amazon.com, Dealmakers Ten Commandments. I'm on Twitter, Jeff underscore B underscore Cohen, or a Facebook, uh, Jeff B. Cohen Esquire, ESQ. And if you missed any of that, we will have the information on our website, CrollCall.com, or on our Twitter feed, Show. Jeff, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out to chat with me, and it's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. And with that, it is going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of Crawl Call. I want to thank both of my guests, Laura Bonarigo and Jeff B. Cohen. For more information about any of the things that our guests talked about this week on the show, please head over to CrawlCall.com. That's also the place that you can listen to any of the shows that we broadcast in the past. And we are rapidly approaching show number 300 that will air on September 11th of this year. If you're a regular listener, I want to hear from you. What are some of your all-time favorite moments from the past, not quite 299 episodes yet, but from the first however many episodes we're at? Please send us your thoughts for favorite guests or favorite moments or most outrageous moments. Tweet them at Kroll Call Show or tweet me at Dan J. Kroll. Let me know. We will put all of those together for a greatest hits episode of Kroll Call. I'm hoping that we have some great hits that we can share. There have been a lot of guests over the last more than five years, so please let me know your thoughts. You can also weigh in with some of your favorite thoughts and moments and shows and episodes and guests by going over to CrollCall.com. And I guess that brings us to the point of the show where I remind you that the next time the phone rings, pick it up. It could be the Crow Call. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 